morning, church. I want to invite you to stand with us. Let's gather now and praise to our God, the God who draws those who are far, who are near, to come and to see and to know the King. Scripture says this, O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Let's read this. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Let's sing together.
recognize God is high. He is lifted up. He's the God who has assembled us here today, assembled us for his praise. And so let's come before him now with hearts fully submitted to him, with knees bowed before him, because this is the example that he set for us. This is what Christ did as he went to the cross. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. He submitted himself to suffering and pain so that he might rescue us. This is what the scripture says, and let's read this together. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
not just stay songs, may they not just be creeds and songs and readings, but may what we believe truly penetrate our hearts. May it drive us to repentance. There's a, the most deadly expression of, of disease upon this earth has spread to all mankind, and that is our sin. And so thanks be to God for his rescue in our lives, that Jesus conquered sin. This is what scripture says. It says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For as by one man's sin, disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord
for salvation, the only name who is worthy of all the praise that we can bring. So this morning, Lord, may our praise reach the ears of you, knowing that it is through the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus that we can be your sons and your daughters. We can hear and understand the word. We can live for you. We're asking you to do a good work in our church today. Good morning and welcome to Four Oaks Killarn. My name is Shannon Piper. I'm the director of children's ministries and I'm so glad that you're joining with us to worship whether online or at home. Especially glad you're joining us if you're a first-time guest. 
please text the word welcome to the number on your screen so that we can get to know you, help you get to know us, and we'll send you a gift. We're so glad that you're joining us. I'm really glad to announce that we are going to be opening our children's ministries, classrooms, and nurseries in the coming weeks. We're so excited to fill our nurseries and classrooms once again with your kids. Starting next Sunday, June 21st, we will offer nurseries for babies through two years old. After that, we'll begin phasing in our preschool and elementary classes over the course of the summer. So check out our website for more information about that. And we can't wait to see your babies in our classrooms once again. Go to the Hub to find out all kinds of information about what's going on at Four Oaks. And be sure to go there to reserve your seats. Every Monday morning, we will post that link and you can reserve your seats for the following Sunday as we seek to maintain a safe environment for our worship gatherings during this season. And we thank you so much to you for your faithfulness in giving. You can give online on our website. You can text to give, or you can use our new Church Center app, which is super easy and secure. And if you're in this building, we have boxes at the back of our sanctuary where you can give your offerings. We thank you so much for joining with us this morning. Now continue to worship with us. Good morning, Four Oaks family. Uh, this is Tim and Terry Lee Baghurst, and today's reading is 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When you see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul, if we don't know each other, so glad that you were here in person. For those who are joining online, sad that you can't be here with us. Totally understand. Look forward to when we can all be back together. Now, if you're not here and you're viewing online, you do need to know that you missed it this morning because Maple Street was handing out free samples outside. And we just want to encourage our, our friends, our partners down there, go visit those guys. They're now open on Sundays and we want to support them. They are, they are super great friends and neighbors. But for this morning, we are journeying through the book of 1 Peter during this COVID season. We're going to be in chapter 3. Now, by a strange quirk of fate, otherwise known as God's sovereignty, um, you know, last week we were, we were touching on a sensitive subject as Peter was addressing masters and servants and, and here we are in the middle of this national conversation, and still are, uh, about race and didn't plan it that way. Um, just, you know, this was what God had for us to talk about at this time in this place as we're making our way through First Peter. So we were talking about, as a pastoral team, what would be something easier for us to talk about this morning? And we decided to roll with, wait for it, submission in marriage. Now, we joke about this a little bit, and we do want to have some fun with it. But we probably 
shouldn't because, you know, submission is not a peripheral theme in the Bible. You know, Peter has been talking about the authority relationships that all of us find ourselves a part of in some kind of context, right? And he's been addressing issues related to government and workplace and family and church and marriage. And what Peter has been wanting to communicate to us, Four Oaks, is that as sojourners, exiles, and strangers, the way that we are going to win the world for Christ from a human perspective is actually by, wait for it, submission. Now, culturally, this is at best nonsensical, but at worst, highly offensive, right? Because we're in a context where everything is about winning and power and asserting our will and not backing down and dominating and crushing it and not giving an inch or a quarter. But like a thunderclap into our cultural context, Peter steps up and says, you know what? 21st century American church, your hope is not in social media posts. Your hope is not in winning elections. Your hope is not in dominating the news cycle. Rather, your hope and the principal tool that God has given you beyond to go alongside the actual word of God is, in fact, your life is in fact, by exercising this discipline that we call submission, where you are putting others first, where you are not exercising all of your rights and prerogatives, where you are placing your perspectives second, third, fourth, maybe even last, where you and I are coming under the God-given authorities in our lives, what we're doing when we do that is giving the world a living breathing picture of the gospel. Because what Peter said last week, and we saw this, is that this is what Jesus has done for us. If there's anyone who could have held on to equality with God, to exercise his divine prerogatives, I mean, it was Jesus unjustly accused, led to a torturous death on a cross, framed for a crime he did not commit, had his closest friends in the world turn their backs upon him, but yet... While we were sinners, what? Christ died for us. And so Peter says, when you do this, when you and I do this, we're giving the world a picture of the gospel. Now, Peter is going to turn his attention to the family and to marriage. And he's going to help us flesh out a little bit what this principle looks like in marriage. And this morning, we're going to talk about what that looks like for women. And then next week, dads, for a great Father's Day gift, we're going to talk about you, okay? And that's where we're going to be going. So we're going to spend a couple of weeks on this passage. Three points this morning, and they are the same as they were last week. They seem to fit just right, and, and here they are. Number one, who is Peter talking to in this passage? What is he telling them to do? Why is he telling them to do it? And we need God's help and his grace, don't we, to, 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 to wrap our hearts and minds around a word that can seem so antithetical, so out of place in the culture in which we are in, but which we are going to see. No more relevant word could there be for you and me these next couple of weeks. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking for your help. We need your help. I need your help. 
the last thing we want to do is mishandle this word. We don't want to say any more or any less than what you say here. Lord, we want, I pray that you would hedge up my lips and tongue, that, that it would be your Holy Spirit that would inhabit these words this morning, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive your word, and Lord, wisdom to know how to apply it. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Who is Peter talking to? He tells us in verse 1, it is wives, all wives, certainly, but he is addressing here a particular category of wives. And these are wives who are married to men, it tells us in verse 1, who do not obey the word. Now, ladies, this doesn't doesn't mean husbands who sin. Okay, that's all men, right? It reminds me of when Tom Cruise and a few good men asked Jack Nicholson if the danger that Nicholson found himself in was grave danger, and Nicholson replied, is there another kind, right? And so, so husbands who sin, is there another kind of husband? Of course not. But that's not the context of what Peter's talking about here. If you look back in chapter 2 at verse 8, and remember that Peter is addressing um, those who <clears throat> have stumbled over the offense of the cross, and he, this is the verbiage he uses. They stumble because they disobey the word. And so when he's talking here about men who don't obey the word, he's, this is a general description of what we would call non-believers. And here was the problem in the context that he's addressing. We mentioned this last week. Remember when the gospel began to sweep through the Greco-Roman world, it knew no boundaries. It changed anyone and everything. It didn't matter what you looked like, what race you came from, your background, rich, poor. You're a ruler, not a ruler, a Jew, Gentile. It was saving everyone. And as the gospel swept through households, what would oftentimes happen, and is this not oftentimes what happens in our context, it was the wife or the woman who was saved first. Now, you need to understand something. That is not the way things were supposed to roll in the Greco-Roman world. Husband, I'm sorry, wives, women, worshipped the gods of their husbands. It's a polytheistic culture, and if your god was this, that, or the other, that's what your family worshipped. So everybody flew under the religious flag of the patriarch of the household. So I grew up as a University of Tennessee fan. And so when our kids were born, they were not, none of them were born in, ten, in Tennessee. They're all born here in Tallahassee. But there was absolutely no question whatsoever who they were going to root for as they grew up, okay? Now, they've grown up in the desert of Tennessee athletics, I grant you, okay? But it was not a choice. It would have been unfathomable for them to think about switching allegiances to the mouth breathers in Gainesville or the evil empire in Tuscaloosa, right? Just unfathomable. And it's the same context here. Unfathomable that, that wives would choose a new lord, a new religion, a new king, that they would give their allegiance to Jesus. And, and this was completely against the cultural grain, and it obviously raised a number of questions for these wives, for these women. What am I to do? How am I to be faithful? What, what does honoring Jesus in my marriage look like? Now, some have, have speculated, why does Peter 
gives so many words here, six verses to the wives, only one verse to the husbands. And it's not because men are dense and emotionally constipated, although that's true, and can only handle small chunks of convo. That, that's not the point. It's that, you understand, things were much more complicated for women in these situations, much more complicated. See, when men professed faith in Christ first, it was very natural for the whole household to come under that, that banner and to be baptized and to be a part of the church. And so women were in a very, very vulnerable position. If you look, and we're going to look at this next week, if you look down at verse 7, where Peter refers to wives as the weaker vessel, he's not just talking about physically, he's talking about vulnerability. They are more exposed. They are in a weaker social position, which meant it took extreme wisdom and care to know what the biblical pattern of marriage looks like when there is a believing spouse and a non-believing spouse. Now, let me just say here and contextualize this for us. Some of you women here know exactly what I'm talking about. Or you know someone or there's someone in your, your play group. There's someone in your neighborhood. There's someone in your community group, maybe. Maybe someone sitting next to you who is in a hard marriage. Meaning, it, and that can look a variety of ways in our context, right? Because we're in the South. That could mean you have a straight-up unbelieving husband doesn't want anything to do with church, doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, doesn't pretend. And by the way, sometimes that's a lot easier to deal with because you know exactly what you have. But oftentimes in our context, it can just be maybe be husbands who are just nominal, meaning Christian in name only, unspiritual men, husbands who have fallen away, may have been involved in the life of the church for a season, but just kind of at this point in their life, spiritually speaking, are just kind of meh. So, see, Peter's words are true for all marriages, but they are particularly true for hard marriages. Because hard marriages are the clearest demonstration opportunity that we often have, ladies to demonstrate and display the gospel. And this is what Peter wants to help us out with. Number two, what is he telling them to do? Let's go back to the text. Look at verse 1. We saw this same word last week. Likewise, wives, be subject. It literally means to submit, to come under, to relinquish, to entrust, to subordinate, to yield. Now, before we unpack this, I do think there are several things in the text implicitly there that tell us what submission is not, okay? And I think it's the, the, I think we can draw these out as implications from what Peter is telling us. Number one, women, you need to understand, submission is not disobeying Jesus. You see, Jesus is the Lord of these women's lives, and they are asking the question, Jesus, what does it mean to honor you, obey you in relationship to my unspiritual husband? And so obviously it's like a category error in philosophy. You, you don't become obedient by becoming disobedient. 
Women, you need to understand that your submission to Christ, your obedience to Christ is always first. And so if, if your husband is trying to coerce you into robbing the bank up the street, right, okay, that does not mean having a quiet and respectful spirit about that. Call the cops, okay? That's, so you get what I'm saying. And that's an extreme example and one that most will not, in here will not be faced with. But principally, oh, we're oftentimes faced with it, right? And if you are, please understand, if you are married to an unspiritual man, this is a credibly common occurrence. But Peter wants us to make it clear, submission does not mean disobeying Christ. Number two, submission doesn't even mean agreeing on everything. It doesn't, you can't equate this with disagreement. So in other words, that's the whole point of the passage, See, a lot of times we can have this mistaken notion that to be submissive means that we have to agree to everything. If that's the case, this passage makes no sense. Because Peter is counseling them at their fundamental point of disagreement. So submission doesn't mean not having your own thoughts, not having your own feelings, not having your own perspectives. That should be blatantly obvious from the text, but... but or just even from common sense, but we have to say it. Because people, by the way, do crazy things with texts like these. You, you, you can quote the Bible and really, really hurt people if you're not putting it into the proper context. A third thing that I think is here, what, what submission is not, it is not a fundamental devaluing of the other person. Look in verse 7 for a second. Flip, flip, we'll look at this again next week. He's exhorting husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. In other words, co-heirs. You're, now, now, he's speaking here not even of heirs of Christ. He's talking about heirs, co-heirs of life, meaning image bearers. And so... Submission does not mean placing yourself in a, an abusive, devaluing position, whether that's physical, whether that's abusive, domestic violence. A lot of times, again, if you really love your husband, then you're not going to blow the whistle. If you really love your husband, then you're not going to be confrontive about his addiction and the way it's destroying your family and the secret life that he has. That is, that is a fundamental misunderstanding of, of what submission is. Not only does it mean, not mean disobedience on your part, it doesn't mean enablement for him either. Now, we're going to talk towards the end of the sermon about some of the complexities that can come into play and maybe some directions that we can go. But those are three things submission is not. Now, we don't want to make the mistake, though, of spending so much time talking about what it is that we don't want to talk about what it is. And Peter spends the bulk of his time here talking about what submission is. Now, if you look back at verse 1, he talks about the conduct of the wife. And, and literally, that word means pattern of life, manner of life, those parts, women, that of your life that can be observed, that are behavioral, that are 
obvious markers. And, and Peter says a lot here, but let me mention three things in particular, I think, are very clear from the text that he has in mind when he talks about submission. Number one, he says, be respectful. And here he uses Sarah as an example, and she calls Abraham Lord. Now understand, that's a cultural custom. We don't usually do that here in America, although I have my kids call me Lord. But anyway, they don't like that. But, but, but I think what, what Peter is getting at here, in other words, the principle okay, that we live by here is, women, how do you talk about and to your husband? How do you talk about and to your husband? There was a couple many years ago, not in this church, um, but they were having a number of problems. And they were in the middle of working through this reconciliation, restoration process. In the middle of all this, the husband discovered all of these communiques that the wife was having with this large group of people in the community about him and about their marriage. Now, now understand something. Everything she said could have been absolutely true, and maybe it was. But that's not the point. And neither is it the point that should the wife have someone to talk to? Absolutely. There needs to be sisters in Christ and community and spiritual fathers and pastors and all those things. But that wasn't the problem here. The problem was that this way exceeded a need-to-know basis, right? This was just nothing less than just gossip about him to everyone else. And when he discovered it, it completely short-circuited that marriage restoration process. He was felt disrespected and humiliated. And Peter here is saying, women, be respectful. Don't belittle. How do you talk about your husband? How do you not talk about him? This is, this is something, see, that even a non-Christian totally understands. See, this is a common bond we have as image bearers that we are called to respect one another as human beings. And Peter says, when you're not doing that, it will short-circuit your gospel witness. Number one, be respectful. Number two, be pure. Now, the, the, the literal word is chaste, and I do think Peter is speaking about sexual purity in this context. And by sexual purity, not merely sexual faithfulness, like don't sleep around and don't commit adultery. But I think what he's even beyond that extending to, he's addressing a temptation that's, and it's particularly, it can easily, easily happen in the Christian community, in the Christian church. And the temptation is this, that, that women, as you are married to an unspiritual man, that you can begin to engage and observe and interact with other men who seem to be, at least spiritually, many things that your husband is not. And it's very easy to begin to, to, to gravitate towards that person. And, and I'm, not, I'm not even speaking about sexually. I'm just speaking about emotionally, spiritually. 
beginning to draw comparisons in your own heart and mind, making inappropriate emotional connections and attachment. And Peter wants to remind us that can just be absolutely devastating to a marriage, right? See, trust is not just broken by physical indiscretion. It can be broken by emotional indiscretion. And here he is warning women particularly, be chaste, be pure, have high spiritual boundaries. And again, this is not talking about having opposite sex friendships. It's not talking about entrusting yourself to people in your church and community group leaders and spiritual fathers. That's not the point here. The point here is, ladies, be careful, guard your heart. Because when you are married to an unspiritual man, you can be vulnerable in ways that you did not even anticipate. So be respectful, be pure, and I was tempted to label this third point, be quiet, but I didn't do that, okay? Because that's not what it means. It says, have a gentle and quiet spirit. The idea is that you are someone, woman of God, who is serene. You are unflappable. See, when you're married to an unspiritual man, Men not walking with the Lord can get nonplussed about a variety of things. In other words, they can, they can get very anxious. They can be very, um, their life when it doesn't go the way they want it to can be very fragile. It can begin to break apart at the seams. And I'm going to use a therapeutic term here. Sometimes the thing that is most necessary is what we would call the non-anxious presence. Women, your husbands don't need you to add to the drama. They, they, particularly for unbelieving husbands who don't understand where that perfect peace that's flowing from the inside out, where that comes from, it's befuddling, right? It's, 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 how, how can you be Anxious but not anxious. How can you be fearful but prayerful? How, how, can you be, how can you be like that calm in the middle of the storm? And Peter is saying, women, when you do that, your attitude, heart, inner disposition speaks a better word because it's inexplicable. Your husband can argue with your words, cannot argue with your life. And that, that leads into the second character point under here. He says, look, look back at the text where he talks about women. Uh, let's look at, so let's start back in verse one. Be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their life. Now, one without a word, please understand something. Again, this is people do strange things to these texts. This doesn't mean you're not to talk, okay? This doesn't, this do, if that were the case, how else would your husband be converted, right? This presupposes there's all sorts of conversations happening. What does Peter even tell us earlier in this text? He says, you're, you're, you were converted by the word of God, which was planted as a seed into your heart. So, of course, there's words, 
But here's Peter's points. We all know this, right? Words have a limit. Words, at some point in a conversation, can be counterproductive. See, when there's conflict, discussions, disagreements, and and many of you have been there, right? When you're in the middle of a conflict, discussion, disagreement with a spouse, there reaches that point, and it's never happened to me, I've just heard about this, okay, where there is like the law of diminishing returns, right? Like the more you talk about it, the worse it gets. Like sometimes what you need to do is just go to sleep. Sometimes what you need to do is just is to stop talking. And what Peter is reminding us, reminding you women, is that you let yes talk, but let your actions be proportional to what you say. So when he says, not let not your adorning be external, but let your adorning be the inward person. This is not about makeup, jewelry, and washing your hair. I give you total permission, women, to do those things, right? As if you needed it. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about. What he's pointing to is, one, a culture. Some people would say that what Peter is doing here is oppressive. He's trying to restrict women and their freedom and their value. And it's actually quite the opposite. If you want to recognize two major mental health sorts of issues prevalent in the world today, which is addiction to pornography and eating disorders. Both of those can be rooted, traced back to this idolization that people have and that women particularly feel to adorn themselves on the outside, to look a particular way. You have to look away, look this way to get what you want. You have to use your looks to leverage to what you need. And what Peter is simply reminding wives is that the biggest problem for your husband is not what's happening out here. The biggest problem for him is what's happening in here, in his own heart. And the answer does not lie somewhere out there. Well, if I only dress this way, if I only looked a certain way, If my husband could only talk to this person, if my husband could only go on that conference, if my husband would only go to church with me, and all those things are are important, but he says, before you go there, wives, here's the most powerful tool in your toolbox. Adorn yourself internally. Yes, adorn yourself outwardly, but adorn yourself internally because that is going to be the thing that speaks volumes to your husband about where your hope is. Look at verse 5. This is interesting. He combines this idea of hope and submission. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands. See, submission is an internal dynamic. It's an internal thing. And when you walk in that path, you are displaying, women, where your hope is. With your submission, you are displaying the gospel. Now, why is Peter saying all this? What is his ultimate goal? And I'm going to say, his, he tells us what his ultimate goal in this for submission is. 
And it's not merely to have a better marriage or to have peace in the house or a conflict-free relationship. Peter says his goal is much more fundamental. Look at verse 1. So, why is he telling them to do it? We're on the last point. Verse 1, so that they may be one. W-O-N. And the word in the Greek literally means to win or to gain. And you can see what priority Peter places on this. Because the idea here is that when we speak, for example, of loved ones who have passed away, what do we say? We say, well, you know, we lost my mom about five years ago. Or, you know, we, we, I lost my brother last year. That loss communicates something very deep, doesn't it? Something very powerful, something very poignant. And here Peter is saying there are high stakes involved in submission. There are high stakes women involved in the way you walk out the gospel with your husband, particularly in difficult marriages. In order for you to be compelled, Peter is telling us, I think, you have to, be, you have to know what your ultimate goal here is. Under the rubric of glorifying God and pleasing him, there's a number of other things that are important priorities we know. Care of kids financial security, emotional affirmation. They're all important in their right context, but that's not what Peter's talking about here. He's saying you're doing this so that your husband will be one. You're doing this so that, let me say it in the negative, your husband won't be lost. Ladies, let me ask you for just for a second. Is there a place in your hearts for your unspiritual nominal, sinful, put whatever category you want there, husband. Is your heart's burden that your husband be sanctified and changed into the image of Christ? Is your heart's burden that he would find his way spiritually, that God would use you to work redemptively in his life? And we could draw the conclusions out here in many, many ways. But somehow, paradoxically, it's not always going to happen by standing upon all of my rights. Because sometimes we can be so right that we are so wrong. And Peter is saying, look inwardly, because I'm going to use that to change him. Now, this is exactly the situation of a woman in our church. And I, get, I got permission to use their story. I'm not going to mention their names here. But this is a woman who our church was married to an unbeliever who's now a believer in this church. And so I asked the husband, what was it that God used particularly related to your marriage with your wife specifically to help win you to Christ? What was that? What were those things? We need to get them to post this on the story, broke story page at some point. But this was so good. Here's a few things he said. He said, you know, she, Pastor Paul, she prayed for me constantly for 10 years. And I knew it. And I knew she wasn't just praying for me. She was praying for other people in her life. But I knew she was praying specifically for me. 
He said, you know, I, I used to mock her Christian faith. I was an atheist. I, I mocked it. But you know what? Two things she never did. One, she never mocked back, number one. But number two, she never relinquished her beliefs and convictions. She just was faithful. She was kind. She, she wouldn't back down on her, on her gospel convictions, but she didn't speak ill about me. She just kept praying. She just kept serving. She just kept, I'm going to use the word, submitting. Always looking for loving ways to speak into my life. In other words, she adorned herself with the gospel. And that's why this passage, Peter says, those women, those of you who do that, you are a daughter of Sarah. We think about Abraham as our father, but Sarah is our mother. And let me just close here with some pastoral words for women, because I know in a, in a sermon like this, oftentimes it can raise many more questions than it answers. I want you to notice in verse 7, I'm sorry, verse 6, something interesting that Peter th- just seemingly throws in here. And you are her children, meaning Sarah, if you do good... And do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, now where did that come from? I think what Peter is acknowledging, women, is that he knows, Jesus knows, that submission is hard. And it can, it can oftentimes be fearful, and it can be frightening, and it can be lonely. But he also wants us to know, not only is Jesus your ally... Okay, and your your husband, but he but he also wants I think the women to be reminded that the New Testament never ever gives commands about marriage in isolation. The New Testament always gives commands about marriage to the people of God as a community. So, for example, when when Peter wrote this letter to be circulated in the churches in Asia Minor. Whoever the pastor or one of the leaders or elders of the church would get the letter from Peter, they would stand up in a room like this and read the whole letter. And the idea was that it was the community of God that was to come together under godly leadership and the spiritual fathers of the church to figure out what these things meant in the context of people's lives. Women, I know right now many of you have exceedingly complex situations. And it's not, maybe it's just not quite as simple as, you know, my husband is an atheist and wants nothing to do with my faith. Sometimes it's not that clear. It's a million shades in between, and it's ambiguous. And it kind of feels like you're in an abusive relationship, but you don't know, and how do you even determine that? And there's all the voices from the outside. And then you have Peter's clarion call to submit here. It can be a complex thing. Let me just say, if that's you, this is why God is letting you hear this message within the community of believers. Because there are people here who want to walk alongside of you. There are sisters in Christ. There are spiritual fathers 
There are elders and pastors who want to come alongside of you and help you by the grace of God to apply wisdom to what Peter is talking about. Women, you are not meant to walk this alone. Women, you are not meant to try to figure this out in isolation. God has given you the people of God. And so as, as you go home today and as you're sifting on this and it's landing on you and it's sparking all kinds of questions or thoughts or concerns, please let us know. Please reach out to us so that we can walk alongside of you and get others to help and come alongside of you as well to help you weigh out in wisdom what this means for your life. But what we do know here is that I think that, you know, some people are, are very critical about the idea of submission. And just and one of the things I often say is that when you undercut submission, you undercut the very heart of God. Because Jesus Christ, do you know, ladies, remind, be reminded of this, lives in submission to his Father. They are co-equal. They are co-heirs. They are one being. Jesus is not God Jr. They are, they are equal. They have different roles. And somehow, in the mysterious ways of God, and Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5, when we walk out the roles that God has given us in marriage, we are displaying the gospel. And ultimately, that is our only hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do want to walk out the gospel, but we need the gospel for when we don't do this well, when we drop the ball, when we aren't faithful, when we aren't full of hope. Lord, I want to pray particularly for the women who are here today, and they are in a hard marriage, and they are wrestling with difficult, complex decisions just perspectives. What are you calling them to do? Lord, pray that you would meet them in a particular way. And even as they are engaging with the community of believers here at Four Oaks, that you would be meeting them personally, letting them know that, encouraging them with the path of submission that you ought in obedience to the Father so that we could have life. Lord Jesus, thank you for doing that. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand together as we come and worship for the table. Let's think upon the goodness of our God, the care that he has for us. Let the words that were spoken over us from the scriptures permeate our hearts. Now let's go ahead and, and grab the communion packets underneath your seats and distribute those. We'll sing and then just wait. We'll take that together and worship together at the Lord's table.
hope is built. shed his blood for us. And so now let's celebrate as we drink. His body was broken for us. He, was the, he became the bread of life. He sacrificed himself. Let's take and eat.
and then Pastor Scott's going to give us some instructions on how to dismiss. Before we do that, as we, before we leave this place, let's not leave without hearing this benediction from 1 Thessalonians. It says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. You are dismissed. Thanks very much for coming. Uh, just to kind of maintain our social distance, we're going to exit by section. And so the, the blue, the red, and the purple, you guys can be dismissed. And as you guys go, make sure to, to take your communion supplies and deposit those in the trash can.